I've not done this now in the three weeks or so since I've been away. It would have been very easy to record a homily every day, as I am celebrating Mass every day, even by myself most of the time. But I thought it was important to do today, this day of all days, as we keep the feast of all the saints. And I want to turn our attention today not to any of the particular lessons from Scripture which are familiar and whose meaning should be fairly clear. St. John in the Apocalypse has a vision of the saints in heaven. So he, even during his own lifetime, the, the end of the lifetime of the last apostle, can see sort of a scoping vision of the future with a throng of saints in procession. The epistle talks about the hope that we have and that the hope in Christ is what makes us pure, not any action of our own, a sort of ultimate reliance on grace, which is the motto, as it were, of all the saints, the thing that we all have to learn before we can ever really begin to grow in holiness. And, of course, the Beatitudes, the sort of job description of the Christian, the aspiration of all the saints. But but for right now, I want to turn our attention just briefly to the creed. First, because the creed is, because we, we recite the creed, we, we, we share the creed together um, on Sundays and solemnities or feasts at the highest degree, like today. And I think we could ask a lot of questions about this. Um, clearly, right, we recite the creed on these days because they're of special importance and we recite the creed at the moment that we do in the liturgy. And this is one of those things that east, west, north, south, the creed occupies the same place in liturgy everywhere because uh, in ancient times, those who were not going to communicate would have been dismissed before this time. Those who weren't in a position, who weren't in communion, couldn't say it, um, would be dismissed, which is why catechumens still are dismissed before the creed. Most of us have never heard this, but the creed really is designed liturgically to be sung, not recited. We might have heard it of extraordinary form, uh, the, the old mass, but we, we, most of us have not heard it in English. I've never heard it sung in English, even though I know there's music in the book for it. Um, to be honest, I've just been too afraid to try and get people to do it. But the reason that the church asks us to sing the creed I want to propose is because the creed is the hymn of all the saints. Listen again to these words that I know are so familiar. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. St. Peter the martyr, who was a Dominican martyr in the um, early 13th century, no, slightly later, um, uh, when he, he was struck in the head with an axe. And as he lay dying, he wrote out with his fingers in his own blood, Credo in unum Deum, I believe in one God. Now he did it literally with his blood, like he used his blood like ink. But every martyr has written in their own blood, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all things, visible and invisible. 
first, because they've come to the recognition, even on a purely natural level, which we all do, that there are invisible things. And those invisible things must needs have the same origin as we do. And that that same origin, that common origin, has to be distinct from the things which it originates. The creatures are necessarily subservient to the creator. The confessors, those saints who are not martyrs, um, we labor and strive to write out the same words, if not in our own blood, then in our sweat and in our tears, in the toil that we endure every day for the sake of our families and for the good of the church, its upkeep and well-being, um, and in the lives that we live with each other as friends and family, mothers and fathers, children and aunts and uncles and near relatives, um, parish priests and parishioners, friends and neighbors, right? The way that we live together, sometimes amicably, sometimes less so, the way that we resolve conflicts, the way that we strive to make the world more just, these are all reflections of our belief in our common origin. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried, rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. The longest section of the creed is rightly devoted to Christ Jesus himself. We bow our heads at the name of Jesus. I don't know if you noticed that. That's why the priests and the deacons kind of pause whenever Jesus' name comes up. We bob our head at the name of Jesus. You start doing that, it becomes a lot harder to take his name in vain. But, but more importantly, it causes us to pause and to think about what we're saying about who we're saying. The creed, of course, was formulated in response to Arianism. The creed is basically a really long, you know, sort of hymn to Christ as God. And that's the whole point here, is that in Christ Jesus, we've met God in the flesh. And if God can be enfleshed in him, and he has granted us the gift of his all-holy good and life-creating spirit, well, then we must do the same which is why the final clause of the creed is directed to the Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. The Byzantines, the Eastern Christians, they celebrate All Saints Day on the Sunday following Pentecost, because the saints are the fruits of the Holy Spirit, not the list of attributes drawn from St. Paul. They would say that the saints are the fruits of the Holy Spirit, that they, they, they're the fruit on the tree, as it were, um, grafted on of Christ. The church is the means by which we attain that. And listen to the description of the church, which is itself, right, sort of the... the the body of Christ moved by the Spirit in the world. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. 
The church is for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not to solve all your problems. It's not to salve every wound. It's not to make everybody feel better. It's not even all by itself to make the world a better place. That's the job of Christians, to be sure. But the church, the church is for the forgiveness of sins. Which is why I've dedicated myself and and our parish so wholeheartedly to the ministry of reconciliation. The church is for the forgiveness of sins. The reception of Holy Communion is for the forgiveness of sins. The old formula for communion, the one the priest still uses for himself and that we use with the dying, I don't know why we... I do know why we got rid of it. It was a dumb idea. But, but for most of history, what most Christians would have heard when they were receiving Holy Communion was this. The body of Christ keep you or preserve you body and soul unto eternal life. And the body of Christ keep you to eternal life. Or in the Eastern churches, again, the servant of God receives the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of her sins unto eternal life. Communion forgives our sins. It burns off the dross. If we've got something bigger, we need to go to confession first. But communion burns off our sins and makes us Christ bearers in the world. That, friends, is what it means to be a saint.